Good morning, or afternoon, I'm sorry. Yeah, it is officially afternoon here, yeah. Um, thank you uh, for the introduction, and thank you for having me here today. Um, I noticed last week that the newspaper said that the uh, service was going to be held every Wednesday and that the area pastors were going to deliver a message or something like that. And I, and I had already arranged to speak here. But I thought, well, there are a number of people who call me pastor, although I'm currently not serving a tradition, a tr- uh, church in a traditional sense. Uh, I have been involved in jail ministry now for about eight years. And so every week I go down to the county jail here in Somerset and meet with, with a group of inmates. My wife had accompanied me for a number of years as well. Uh, she met with the females. I met with the males and we would have church. I was there actually just last night. We had a break for COVID. I'm thankful. It seems like we're back in again. So I'm, I'm praying that that continues. So there are some people there who, who call me pastor because I come there and we, we have a church service. It's different than probably your typical church service, as you might expect. Um, we are probably the only church in town um, where we don't want guests. Uh, we don't want visitors. Um, we would like to see our pews empty, not feel full. And we have a closed door policy there at the jail. Um, so, you know, a little bit, a little bit different than perhaps some of the typical churches, but uh, it is still church. And it, it gives me a wonderful opportunity to share with these inmates and to just uh, talk about Jesus. And so uh, I appreciate that very much. Um, so we're going to get into today's message. Um, Mark chapter 10, uh, Dave read for you here uh, this morning, uh, hopefully a familiar passage, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, during World War II, we were faced with enemies on two separate sides. Of course, in Europe, the European theater, we faced mainly the German army, and in the Pacific theater, we faced the Japanese As we were soon to discover, those two enemies at that time were completely different. Facing the East, for example, was a real challenge because we learned that the Japanese had a completely different mindset, a completely different worldview than ours. It was not uncommon for German soldiers, for example, to perhaps lay down their arms and lift their hands in surrender. But it was extremely uncommon to find the Japanese doing that. They were driven by the fear of shame and the the hope of of glory and honor. And so it drove them in different directions. And it was hard for us as Americans to understand this mindset. It was a clash of worldviews. It was a, a clash of mindsets. And when I think of Mark chapter 10, I actually think a little bit of that story because in Mark chapter 10, in the passage that was just read for you, we have a clash, a clash of worldviews, a clash of ideologies, a a, a clash of uh, presuppositions. But it's not a clash between Jesus and the religious leaders. It's not a clash between Jesus and the Romans, perhaps, but rather it's actually a clash between Jesus and his own disciples, trying to get their minds wrapped around his mind, their minds wrapped around his goals, his purposes. It's a hard thing. And we see it in no better place, I believe, than in Mark chapter 10, where this clash happens. The passage that was just read begins that Jesus had turned towards Jerusalem, and he's walking very deliberately there. He's moving. He's leading the way. He's ahead of the rest of the disciples, it seems, to paint a picture. And Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem. And then we read that they were astonished. 
It's kind of an odd word. The disciples were astonished. Why would they be astonished? I mean, Jesus often walked and he often walked on the roads and he had been to Jerusalem on a number of different times. Well, I think we understand their astonishment when we look at the next adjective for them. It said they were afraid. And we can see now it starts to picture, come together a little bit. The disciples were afraid because they knew that Jesus' most influential and powerful enemies were in Jerusalem. And that's where he was endeavoring to go. That's where he had set his, his sights on, to Jerusalem. And that's where they were. He was going into the belly of the beast, as it were. He was right going into the heart of, of the most harshest criticism and persecution of his own ministry. And now it's as if he had turned his face towards Jerusalem. And that's where he's going. And there's nothing going to pull him aside from that. So they were astonished. And they were afraid. And it seems as though Jesus perhaps sees that fear. And so he, he, he doesn't aside. He pulls them up. He huddles his disciples up. And he tells them, he said, behold, we are going to Jerusalem. Did you catch the pronoun? We. It's plural. Not just I'm going to Jerusalem. We are. We're going to Jerusalem. And that must have struck a little more fear in their hearts. They're included in this. Jesus is bringing them into it. We're going to Jerusalem. And then he unveils what's going to happen. Now, this is the third time in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus shared with his disciples what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. We find it in chapters 8 and 9 and now again in 10. But this one is the most graphic. It's the most telling. See, behold, we go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed. That's a dark word. It speaks of treachery. It speaks of deception. And it probably frightened them all the more. Someone in their midst would betray him. He'll be tried by the chief priests, the religious leaders, and found guilty. He'll be condemned by them, he said. What crime could he commit? How could the highest court in Jerusalem, highest court in all of Israel, find Jesus guilty? And then it gets worse. He'll be turned over to the Gentiles, to, to the Romans, where he'll be tortured and killed. I can't even begin to imagine the disciples trying to wrap their minds around what he just talked about, what he just said was going to happen. Because all of their lives, all of the rabbis had ever taught them was the Messiah is coming to restore Israel, to lift up Israel to the place among the nations where it's supposed to be. The Messiah was going to sit on the throne of David and reign forever. And, and this is the way Israel is going to be. And so they long for this day where the Messiah would come and wrestle off the neck of Israel, its enemies, and establish them as a government. And so when Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'll be tried, convicted, and executed. That just doesn't compute. It doesn't fit. It doesn't make any sense. And I couldn't imagine their, their, their stunned faces at that moment. What, what do you mean you're going to die? Messiahs don't die. Messiahs don't go to Jerusalem and be condemned. Messiahs go to Jerusalem and sit on Moses' seat and judge others. Messiahs go to Jerusalem and, and they might slay the enemies of God, but they are not slain themselves. What do you mean you're going to Jerusalem and you're going to die? And Jesus says, behold, we are going to Jerusalem. You know, 
we have 2,000 years of church history to kind of help us understand what's going on here. And we look at this passage and we know what Jesus is going to do. We know what's going to happen. We know the end result. We see all of that. And sometimes it can be kind of tempting for us to sort of condescendingly smile at the disciples and pat them on the head here and say, oh, don't you get it? Don't you see what's going to happen? Don't you understand what, what Jesus is going to do here? It's so easy. But when we do that, I fear we judge ourselves because quite often I think we're guilty of something very similar. I know myself, I've done this. There's been many times where I had a plan. I had something that God was going to do. The pieces were all falling in place. It was just exactly as I had envisioned it. And then something happened and I realized this is not at all what God's plan was. It's a tough place to be in. That's where the disciples find themselves. They had a plan. They, they had a plan and a purpose. They, they saw it unfolding just, my goodness, it was just a few weeks ago that he fed thousands of people with just a small lunch. He could feed an army. He could raise the dead. There's no way anybody could stop this army from defeating Rome. I'm sure they had a plan. They had a purpose. And now it was dashed by this talk of being executed. I can't imagine how difficult that was. And yet, I think so many times we find ourselves in similar situations. We see a plan and it's working out beautifully, only to see it fall apart. Back in 1986, I think it was, when I was attending Beulah, my home church where I grew up, we were needed a pastor, and so there was a group of us, we were praying regularly for our pastor. We were hoping God would send a, a man of God to lead us and to really inspire us, and he did. Some of you might remember Pastor Reverend Ron Chittister from quite a few years ago. He came to our congregation, and I'll never forget his first sermon as he stood on the platform. It was called, I Am Not Ashamed of the Gospel of Christ. And he didn't preach. He preached if you know what I mean. He preached and he walked around that platform and he just, he was a big man. And he just bellowed this sermon out and it was amazing. And I remember sitting there thinking, this is exactly what we were praying for. This is exactly what we wanted. This is precisely what we had expected and longed for that finally now God was going to move in our church. He had sent this man of God to us and he was going to do mighty things among us. He was going to lead us on and we were going to do great things for the Lord. And it was just so wonderful. And then 18 months later, he became suddenly ill and in days he was gone. We lost him. And, and we, were, we were stunned as a congregation. We, we were stunned. I mean, what was this about? Here's the man we had prayed for. Here's the man we'd hoped for. Here's the man we had longed to see and God had given to him. And we had such a short time with him and it's over. And, and, and we don't have him anymore. God, this was our plan. I mean, this is the things, these are the things that we had picked. God, these are the things that we had seen and, and it's been rearranged. I'm sure probably some of you have found yourselves in similar situations where the plan before you was just perfectly laid out. Each piece, like a puzzle, was just snapping together on the table and you can, you can just kind of see, you can just kind of see how the plan of God is unfolding and it's exciting to be there and then something happens and the whole table is shaken. The pieces of that puzzle, they're not even on the table anymore. 
And you wonder to yourself, what just happened? It's that clash of ideas between us and God, I suppose. We saw it one way, and he showed us that he had seen it another. Remember that phrase that we just read here? Jesus told his disciples, behold, we go to Jerusalem. There's something about that phrase. As I was meditating on the passage, it just began to kind of minister to me. And, and, And I think, in a way, all of us, in a sense, are on the road to Jerusalem. We're sort of on this path. So it's not just the disciples anymore. It's not just the 12 disciples following Jesus, going to Jerusalem where all these bad things are going to happen. It's you and me. I believe that we are all, in a sense, on the road to Jerusalem. It will culminate in death. And I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about the death of us. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, If anyone wants to come after me and be my disciple, he must first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The Christian call is one of dying to self, of relinquishing my rights and accepting his instead, of being submissive to who he is. We are all on this road to Jerusalem, and it's difficult and it's challenging. As the the passage goes on, and and Dave just read for you, the next thing that happens, and I don't know if it was the same day or later on this journey as they're moving down, James and John come to Jesus and they said, you know, give us, we'd like to ask something for you. And Jesus said, well, what is it? What do you want? And they said, well, when you come into your glory, we would like to sit on your right hand and then on your left hand. And you come into your kingdom. And it's so obvious what they were picturing. They're still seeing, even after this little talk that Jesus had with them, they're still seeing that Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem as a conquering king, and they wanted to be his generals sitting there beside him. And just riding in there, just these positions of of honor and prestige and of authority and of power along with Jesus. And you can almost hear the emotion jumping off the pages as Jesus responds to them, and he said, You don't know what you're asking. You you don't understand. And and they didn't. They were still, there's this clash. They're still trying to get their minds wrapped around his mission, and they're still seeing it as themselves. Forgetting the words, behold, we go up to Jerusalem. It's an invitation to come along and on that way to change. Now, when the other disciples heard what James and John had done, now they're upset. They're indignant about it. And the reason why is because they hadn't thought of it first. Uh, We know this because they often squabbled about the same thing. I mean, they had complained. They wanted to know which one of them was the greatest. And they were always jockeying for position and and seats of honor. And and so now James and John actually go and ask him. And so they're perturbed. And so they're indignant. And Jesus apparently senses the rift in his disciples and pulls them aside again. He has to stop the journey and pull them off aside. Let's huddle up here. And let me tell you, let me tell you about this kingdom that I'm trying to show you something. And again, their their idea of what this kingdom is is challenged once more. And it's not what they thought. They thought leadership was position and power. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's service. It's becoming a slave to others, submitting yourself in, in service 
to others. And that's what it is. Behold, we go to Jerusalem. See, on this road from where they started to where they must end is is a road fraught with change and challenge. And that's, I believe, what it is, in fact. And that's what we are on. I believe, in a sense, we're on this similar road. It ends, again, with our death. It ends with us finally submitting and finally saying, it's not my will, God. I take on the mind of Christ. And and I'm here for your pleasure. And I've died to myself. But to get from point A to point B, to get from where we are to Jerusalem, which ends in death, there will be challenges. Our path will be fraught with twists and turns. And just when we think we know it, we'll find that we really don't. It's a challenging walk. But we're encouraged because Jesus said, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. It's not like he said, I'll see you when you get there. But he's with us on this walk as we make our way. We make our way not alone, but with him. As a matter of fact, the text said that he was going before them. He's not behind us. He's leading the way. He's picking the path. He's going right here and left there. This fork of the road, he's choosing that and not this. And so it's his path and we are led by him. And these twists and these turns, they can be challenging. Just when we figured it out, just when we think that we have the plan of God laid out before us, we find out that we really don't. This is about following him. This is about making your way to Jerusalem with him. And I tell you, it, it ends in a death. The death of that old self and that old way and that old mind and that old thinking. That's the goal. And Jesus knows that that's the goal. That's his purpose for you and for me is to lead us along this path that takes us ultimately to our own death. And in that we find life. In that we find joy. In that we find unspeakable pleasures because we're serving him. But we've got to get from point A to B. We must get from where we are to Jerusalem. I would wager to guess that perhaps there are some here today who feel a little like that, as though your plan, the plan that you're seeing, the pieces of the puzzle have been shaken. And all the things that you expected are not what they are now. COVID has messed up so much in our world, so much in our churches, so much in our ministry. It just so rattled and it's just hard to imagine what God's doing. But we have to recall that he's leading this journey. He's picking the path and the road. Our duty, our calling is to follow him faithfully and just walk with him. And so I want to encourage you along the walk today. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't be saddened by the turns that you see. Just know that you have a shepherd who leads the way. He's leading 
to what might seem a bad thing, but it's really a good thing. And that is that we grow in maturity and understanding and we become a lot like him. And that, my friends, is a very, very good thing. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this time of worship, to step out of our busy days and to sit in the sanctuary, to sing these songs, to meditate upon your word. Father, we pray especially for those, Lord, on the journey right now who are taking it aside, who are wondering where it's leading and what's going on. Oh, Lord, that your Holy Spirit might comfort them and encourage them along the way because you have an ultimate goal in mind for us all, Lord, and we know that that's a good thing. So we're going to trust you as we walk together, Lord. Trust you because we know you're walking with us. Oh, how we're comforted by that. So, Lord, I pray for those who are wondering today that you might put your arms around them that they'd sense your presence and your leadership and your tender guidance as they go to Jerusalem. Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake and for his coming kingdom. Amen.